Welcome to the MMA Geek Sea Level Podcast. This is Stan Drive here with my co-host, my friend Nick Prachia, here to talk about UFC and ESPN four, where Del Sanios went up against Leon Edwards. We're also going to discuss UFC 240 coming up this weekend, where Max Holloway defends his featherweight title against Frankie the Answer, Edgar Chris Cyborg, also on the card. Not necessarily the most stacked card, Nick, but it's got a couple of couple of solid fights for us to look forward to at least. Yeah, where are they fighting out of? Is that a is that a Winnipeg card? Uh, Edmonton, I believe. Edmonton. Well, it'll be the best thing going on in Edmonton, Ontario exactly. on Saturday night. But I, I also believe that our Canadian brothers and sisters deserved a better card. Um, I feel like it's really missing the, the uh, rumored to have been booked fight between Brian Ortega and Zabit Magomed Sharipov. UFC 240, we'll get there. But first, let's talk about UFC on ESPN4, a card where I really, truly believed I was going to score a, per, a, per, a perfect clean sweep on my picks. And instead, I ended up with my first sub-500 card. My third loss in a Well, not my third loss in a row because we had a tie in there. But I haven't beat you in about five weeks after, you know, basically running shop for uh, several, like over a dozen weeks. And I can't, uh, I can't buy a victory. But nothing, nothing went my way. And I, like, most of the experts were picking... We picked early, so I didn't know what the experts were going to pick, but most of them were very much in line with my uh, my picks and yours for the most part, because we only differed on a couple. But boy, did we get most of it wrong. Yeah, I mean, from the experts that I follow when it comes to MMA prognostication, we actually did fairly well considering, man. Like, uh, my record was something like six and seven in this one, which isn't great, but the best record that I've seen so far for that event is seven and six. It was a tough event to pick where. The three of the four only underdogs in this event dominate for, for wins. Uh, and I'm talking about Andre Arlovsky, Batista, Corrales. Um, these guys really came through. And this was a rough one for a lot of pickers. A rough, one, a rough one for a lot of betters. This is actually my first losing event when it comes to the betting in a long time. One thing that I actually failed to do this time that I normally do when it comes to that, Nick, is I, I normally put some money down on a bunch of the underdogs. I call those my value bets. Didn't do that here, Nick, and I missed out. This was the event to do this on because I would have won with every one of those underdogs, but I didn't. Yeah. I, I think I think I'm down something like $150 for this event, but we're up uh, something like $750 up until then, so it's not the worst thing in the world. But I'm looking forward to getting back on the winning track when it comes to it. Yeah, um, and we and we even got a, got gifted uh, Hernandez's victory over Trinaldo. I agree. Uh, you know, so it, it could have been worse, but. Let's start with the good about the event. Leon Edwards, Rafael Dos Anjos was a hell of a scrap. Yeah, it really was. Leon Edwards came in there with the perfect game plan and basically shut Dos Anjos out. I think every won every round except for that second round. Uh, maybe some judges may have, may have given him that round as well. But yep. absolutely dominant. He said something interesting after the bout. He said that Rafael Dos Anjos doesn't tend to come back after a fight starts going against him. And so his game plan was to get that early takedown. Not only would that be a surprise, since most high-level fighters set up their takedowns over a period of a couple of minutes, but it also puts Dos Anjos at a disadvantage early, which apparently mentally he has trouble coming back from. And that was the case here. On top of the fact that, again, the reason I picked Leon Edwards here, and I know this, this was a tough one for a lot of expert pickers. This was very much pick about. The reason I picked Edwards, even though stylistically on paper it looked like RDA should have a big advantage, Edwards is way taller. He's got a big reach advantage. He's significantly younger by something like seven years. And I, I think all of those things played out. That combined with a really good game plan. He's not just a jack of all trades. 
he's very, very good at everything. The thing is that he's not excellent at anything, and that's why I think Kamaru Usman might still be a tough fight for him. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, listen, I think Usman's a tough fight for anyone. I think that um, I think Stephen Thompson is a tough fight for for Leon Edwards. Um, I could see it, but uh, you know he he looked much bigger than Dos Anjos. Dos Anjos looked every bit of a lightweight who moved up. Uh, Edwards looked huge. Um, that was a gr- that was a very smart move going for that takedown early, and you know Dos Anjos didn't certainly didn't quit. But he couldn't, uh, you know, it was a, com- it was a, com- it's one of those fights where I would describe it as, as Edwards had a dominant victory in a competitive fight. <laughs> it's, um, you know, there was no, there wasn't really any second that, uh, maybe half of the second round that Dos Anjos was winning, but he never stopped trying. He never got intimidated, even when he was catching those elbows, uh, fought tough and, and, you know, and fought bell to bell. Edwards just, you know, just kind of like pieced him apart mixed things up nicely, and was uh, the bigger, stronger, um, more successful mixed martial artist uh, that night. He was able to, he was, he just, he imposed his will from the outset, and he dictated the fight. Um, you know, good stuff. I mean, Dos Anjos was certainly didn't stop coming at him, but it was, it was always Edwards that was landing. It was Edwards that was landing off of the clinch um, when they would separate, and that, I mean, that initial takedown certainly caught me off guard and got me very concerned about RDA's prospects. Right. Uh, yeah, the, the fact that, uh, you know, you assume that RDA tends to lose to those really high-level pressure wrestlers, and Edwards is not that. He's, uh, he's got definitely wrestling as, in his repertoire, and that is a very big part of his game, but he's not a pressure fighter at all. He lays back. He stays in the back foot. He was able to beat RDA without really changing up his style much. Uh, I think the takedowns early on were, were kind of the – the table setting that led to Edwards being comfortable standing up. And like you said, he did a really good job of landing those elbows as they exited the clinch. He did a really good job of landing elbows as Dos Anjos came in for offense as well. Yes. Edwards, honestly, outclassed him, looked absolutely fantastic. And I, uh, I honestly think he would have the advantage over Masvidal and any other really top guy besides, I think, the Covington and Usman matchups are basically pickums with Edwards. I would give the edge to Usman over Edwards at this point. I think the Covington matchup could easily go either way. I think it's an absolute pick And I think if Leon Edwards, if he does get matched up with Covington, and he's a decent-sized underdog, he'd be worth laying some money on for sure. Uh, I think I'd still pick Masvidal. I would pick Masvidal against Edwards. I think, I think Masvidal is a better finisher. I think he's a little bit faster. I, I, would, I would confidently put money against you in, in, uh, when it comes to that matchup just because Edwards is damn near untouchable at this point. He's young as heck. He's at the prime of his career. Whereas Masvidal is at his best, but he's figured out ways to lose something like 12 times. Um, yes. Edwards can certainly figure out a way to beat George Masvidal. And I don't think it's likely that he'll get knocked down the first unless Masvidal's uh, head games really mess with Edwards, which is possible. Well, he already served him up a three-piece in a soda. That he did. But again, they were broken up. This wasn't a five-round, 25-minute fight. I think Leon Edwards has shown that in such a setting, he is absolutely elite. Uh, and Masvidal lately has shown that, man, if he wants to take you out of there, he can. Walt Harris picked up a pretty spectacular first-round knockout victory over Alexei Olenek. It seems like he's really kind of coming into his own. I had a lot of trepidation when it came to making the pick for Walt Harris. I think you and I both agreed on that one. And Walt Harris just needed to land one big shot, and it was over. Olenek didn't even get the chance to apply his kind of pressure and his nonstop offense, as he usually does. 
Did you appreciate this? Are you a little more of a believer in Walt Harris now? I certainly am. It was very nicely, it was nicely set up. He was perfectly positioned following that knee to land that shot with power. And that show, to me, that shows, you know, evolution. He's not thinking one strike at a time. I was impressed. I'm looking forward to his next fight. I assumed he would make a foolish mistake and get wrapped up. But he didn't really get the chance to because that, that, that punch really is all that it took in that instance. Uh, yeah. Greg Hardy picked up a, a victory over Juan Adams. Again, controversial. It seems like he can't really avoid controversy. But we do have to admit one thing. He's a super athletic heavyweight who hits hard. He hits hard and he was relentless. Listen, I was pulling for Juan Adams. His technique was terrible <laughs> when, he, when, that, when that takedown got stuffed. And he deserved to end up in the position that he got into. And then he didn't get out of it, and he got hit something like 35 times. So what's the, what's the referee supposed to do? Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Juan Adams, I think he felt obligated to talk crap against Greg Hardy, who's got a domestic violence history. And Juan Adams felt like he, he should be the good guy in the scenario, and he owes it to everyone. And then he kind of talked himself up into a frenzy to the point where he put so much pressure on himself against this heavy-hitting, intimidating-looking guy standing across from him that he, he basically did what Ryan Bader did against... Anthony Johnson, he just went for a really sloppy takedown, even though he had the skill to get a clean takedown and, yep. and got walloped. Dan Hooker, man, did he come through for us, Nick, with a sick switch step knockout over James Vick, who is really just going through some very tough times now. He announced today he's moving up to welterweight, so Hooker knocked him all the way to 170. Yeah, um, I don't know that his prospects will improve there unless he's. I don't think they will. Yeah. But maybe, maybe he can take a better shot. I think he needs to take some serious time off, though. It didn't necessarily work for Luke Rockhold to take time off and to move up a division, but it does work for a lot of guys. A lot of guys come back from knockouts, and, and they can take shots again if they've taken the right amount of time off. Uh, Dan Hooker, though, uh, a lot of the reason that I favored him was because of that low-leg calf kick that he has, he'd been throwing in his previous fights, and James Vick didn't look like he took that very well against Paul Felder in his last bout. Dan Hooker started with that, and he kind of gave... Vic something to, to stress before landing that wallop of a overhand switch step punch. I thought that the Israel Adesanya training partner thing, I thought that was a factor here given how similar in size James Vic and Adesanya are and the fact that Adesanya is like on a whole different league when it comes to striking. And uh, yeah, Vic, Vic's chin and, and, and his style, it needs a lot of adjustment. He can't keep that chin up so high. And he's got to change his defense. And quite frankly, I think he's got to change camps. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, we don't have to talk about Hernandez, Trinaldo, Alexander Hernandez. Uh, hopefully he shows a little bit more um, in his next fight. That was just ugly all around. Yeah, he was um, a great age after that Cerrone beating. Andre Arlovsky looks spectacular, Nick. Yeah, you know, there are times when he looks great, and then you wait for the, the, you wait for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> I always think of his, his, one, his 99% of that round he fought against Fedor. He looked like, the, he looked like this amazing... Freddie Roach trained world beater, and then he went for that flying knee and got, he just got fucking hammered. Let's say that he got hammered by Fedor, but he's, uh, I'm happy that he won. I'm sad that we picked against him and lost, but, you know, he just, he looked good and he pieced up Rothwell. That was the real big reason for my, for my loss in the betting over the weekend was because I put a lot of Ben Rothwell expecting him to do well. Nick, I didn't factor in the fact that Ben Rothwell has popped for steroids twice and presumably isn't on it any, anymore. He doesn't hit as hard, it seems like. He's not as aggressive. And that's exactly the sort of thing that increasing your testosterone does. It makes you more aggressive and makes you more explosive. 
He doesn't really have that anymore. Having said that, Arlovsky, not to take anything away from him, he was faster and more technical, and I think him training at ATT is really such a big difference maker. Even when he's losing bouts right now, even when he's losing these split decisions, it's to these young prospects who are supposed to just knock him over the head in, in, in a minute. Arlovsky is legitimately back. He's probably the best he's ever been, and I think training with American top team over Greg Jackson's is a big boon to his career when it comes to game planning. I think that they saw what Junior Dos Santos was able to do against Ben Rothwell, and they replicated it. If you have a speed and, and technique advantage, you can beat the guy. Heck, Ben Rothwell was just beat by Blagoje Ivanov. I know a lot of people thought he won the fight. I didn't. He got out, outstruck. He got out-hustled by a smaller, faster heavyweight. Rothwell's off the juice. Andre Arlovsky's at his absolute best, and it's pretty cool to see. I'm going to definitely give a lot more consideration to picking Arlovsky, knowing that he really is in a good place. He could have won that last decision against Sakai, right? But he lost it. He could have been on a streak right now. And so I think a lot of people fail to see him as being able to do well in this fight. Again, I'm, I'm going to give him a lot more deference in the future. Caceres won uh, a pretty close fight against Steven Peterson. Th- that's the bout that you picked, uh, that, that you and I picked differently, that you won. Oh, Ra- yeah. Raquel Pennington and Arena Aldana was another one of our... Uh, I, picked Alda- I picked Aldana, and it was very close. I thought Pennington took the first, first round close. Second round, she looked like, like she was in trouble. Irina Aldana was starting to land that one-two. Just really most of what she has, that long-range jab cross, those straight punches. And in the third round, Raquel Pennington hustled her way to a takedown. I rewatched Raquel Pennington's last two bouts against the two best 135-pounders in the world, in Durandamy and Amanda Nunes. And even in the third round of the Durandamy fight, the fourth round of the Amanda Nunes fight, she still was genuinely trying to get takedowns. She was genuinely trying to build up offense even though she wasn't having success. That's part of the reason I favored her here, and that came through, I think, in that third round. She pushed through on that same hustle that wasn't good enough against the two best in the division, was good enough against an upcoming Arena Aldana. Glitzen Abru fought Sam Alvey to a pretty one-sided decision. I thought he did pretty darn well there. Alvey seemed like, you know, as usual, he was kind of too cautious to pull the trigger. He looks out of shape. I I have seen no reason to pick Alvey in the near future against any decent opponents, Nick. What do you think? Yeah, I agreed. It went it went essentially the way I thought it would. Um, the next fight's really irritating because uh, Roxy got swept on the cards against Jennifer Maya, who came in uh, three or four pounds over. And Roxy's been uh, sounding off a little on social media on the number of opponents who have missed weight against her and uh, how she's accrued losses in most of those fights. I didn't realize that Maya didn't make weight. It's didn't great. make weight and didn't apologize. I mean, they're cool. I think they're I think they're friend, very friendly, but. You know, Roxy noted that none of the fighters who have missed weight against her have apologized. And I don't think people understand what a big deal that is, particularly if you've got kind of an, you know, even strength. But when- I, I don't know if there's any reason to believe that at this point they have even strength. Now, if she did miss weight, like that's not okay. But like Jennifer Maya just seemed, again, it's the same issue that uh, Roxanne Matafari had in her last loss against Jaira Eubanks. Maya looked like she was stronger and more athletic. But in their first fight, Roxy took two rounds clearly and got several takedowns. Yeah. Uh, she couldn't get anything going. Maya was piecing her up off the brakes. She just could not get the takedown. Like, Roxy uses her striking, for the most part, to get the takedown. If, you get, if she gets stuck in a kickboxing match with a, a, a fairly good um, striker, you know, she's not going to get knocked out. She is going to, you know, get outpointed. And, uh, and that's, that's what happens. It was just kind of a bummer. I think Roxy needs to pick up some weights, Nick. I think she needs to get stronger. Like, 
she admitted herself that in 2000, her 2018 loss to Eubanks was because Eubanks was just stronger. Even though Roxy, whether Roxy had the technique advantage or not, Eubanks was stronger. What you do in response to that is you, you, you start lifting weights and you start incorporating strength training into your routine so that you can gain strength if you're serious about like long-term winning. I feel like she looked weaker against Maya. And, and I don't like Maya's takedown defense has improved. Maya's missing weight may be a factor here. But still, like it didn't seem like it was close strength-wise. She needs to work on that, Nick. Like that needs to be a serious, serious focus because it's the reason she's losing these fights. She's not strong enough. And I say that because I like her and I want her to, to have success, especially when the stylistic matchup seems to favor her like it did in this one. Yeah. I I mean she's clear she's doing strength training with John Wood at Syndicate, no doubt. But I mean part of it too is her age. You know, she's like thirty-six, I think. That's fair. That's and, a good point, actually. And better on the block. And, like, it's often hard to put on muscle and strength without ending up a weight class higher. Just a bit of a, a bit of a bummer. I feel I wouldn't be so bummed about it if Maya had come in on weight. I think they're probably going to encourage her to move up to 135 after that. Ray Borg picked up. Uh, basically, he had the same fight against Gabriel Silva as he had in his last fight against Casey Kenny, except the judges this time rightfully gave him this decision win. The first round, he didn't look so good against a younger, stronger guy. But in the second and third rounds, he, he got a grip on those guys, on both Casey Kenny and Gabriel Silva this past weekend. And he was able to keep them in that, in that grappling range, take them down when necessary. As the fight wore on, Gabriel Silva got tired, and Casey Kenny lost some will, especially since Casey Kenny really took the fight on short notice. I'm glad he got the decision because he deserves both of those fights. Uh, unfortunately, he's one and one in his last two, but glad to see him back on the winning track. We've also yeah. got uh, Mario Batista who picked up a big upset over Jin Soo Sun. Both guys faced serious prospects in their debuts, and we assume that Jin Soo Sun hanging in there with Peter Yan will give him the edge. But Mario Batista looked really, really good. He clearly decisioned the guy, and more dominantly, I think, than Peter Yan did. And then uh, Philippe Perales, who looked really bad in his UFC debut, which had everybody picking Domingo Pilarte over him. He kind of dominated Domingo for most of that bout. Domingo just didn't have the strength or the wherewithal to, to just keep pressing and keep fighting and, and avoiding those takedowns. We've got uh, a UFC 240 to cover. We're going to end up discussing our bets from last week and our plans for betting this week. We will be right back, folks. And we are back here on the MMA Geek C-Level Podcast. Nick, we're going to talk about UFC 240, where Frankie Edgar gets probably his last opportunity to fight for a UFC championship, where he vies for the featherweight title for a third time, this time against Max Holloway, who's been reigning over the division for a little while now, despite a loss in his last bout against Dustin Poirier. What are your thoughts, man? What, what do you think about the matchup? This is a tough one. Frank Yeager's the fighter that got me into MMA. I was watching casually, and then his fight against Tyson Griffin was on in my apartment. And that was the fight that turned me from, a, oh, yeah, this is this MMA thing's pretty cool. It's all right, to, like, holy shit, I found my sport. And, like, that's my guy. Short little Italian dude from New Jersey. Like, you know, what, 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 what am I going to do? And it's been such a pleasure to watch his career but I really feel like my instinct tells me that, that Frankie Edgar 
is in his Rich Franklin years. And what I mean by that is he's been awesome and competitive and top tier for a really long time. But the athletes and the sport and the training um, have evolved. And I feel like there's guys are just bigger, scarier, and a little more diverse in their attacks and well-rounded than he even was in his prime and certainly is now. So I suspect, I don't see him getting the, the knee tap and shooting in on Max and, and, and flipping him on his head like he did to Gray Maynard. I don't see him getting close enough to land a short, sharp hook like he did to Chad Mendes. I see him being kept at range and it looking a lot like his fights against Aldo, but I think that Max strikes more and it could and could potentially get a TKO by, by really piecing Frankie up. Now, the one reservation I have is that a couple of a couple of fights ago or a year and a half ago max had a fight canceled because his speech was slurred and he was talking all weird and he has you know sometimes he looks like the most elusive fighter in the world other times he takes you know he takes a good bit of damage and he took a ton of damage not all that long ago against dustin poirier so i think that max holloway is going to win this fight but there's no way to know how much that beating from poirier uh, diminished him. I think it's Max Holloway's fight, but I don't, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a sure thing. I definitely don't think it's a sure thing. I actually think the fight is a lot closer than the odds suggest in this one. Nick Max Holloway is a minus three fifty favorite. Frankie Edgar a plus two ninety underdog. I think Frankie Edgar has the style to give Max Holloway some trouble. If you think about it, in a lot of ways, the game plan that Dustin Poirier executed against Max Holloway just three months and 14 days ago, Nick, is very much the way that Frankie Edgar fights. Pressures with strikes and then gets his head out of the way for your counters, goes for takedowns against that fence if need be, drags you down sooner or later, but he doesn't necessarily need to because he could use that takedown threat to, to pressure you and to give you something else to think about. The thing is that Frank Edgar is a much smaller man than Dustin Poirier, and he does not hit near smaller. hard. Doesn't have the reach. Right. I think the style matchup is what would make this a little bit closer, at least for the first few rounds. And I think the fact that Max Holloway took a drubbing three and a half months ago, Nick, that is, like, that's the amount of time you should take to recover. He literally basically jumped right back into a training camp is what we assume here, right? Like, that sounds very unreasonable after the kind of, the kind of shots that he took in that five-round fight. Again, this is part of what I think will make this a closer fight, at least at least initially. Um, I, I think the way for Max Holloway to finish Edgar more than anything else is to catch him as Edgar's coming in. Edgar has to cover distance. And as much as Holloway is hittable, he does have a solid chin. Edgar, when he closes distance, is exactly, I think, when he's vulnerable. In fact, an excellent job of that was done in Edgar's last loss against Brian Ortega. Edgar kept coming in and lunging in with his offense. And Ortega timed the knee as Edgar's head was running straight into him. And it was the perfect thing to do because it hurt Edgar. All of Edgar's momentum was running into the knee and his jaw took that much more damage. It was actually a forearm. Right. It, it was the bone right above uh, Brian Ortega's hand. And he meant to hit him with about that part of his body. And he, he basically hurt him and knocked him out shortly thereafter. I don't know that there's a whole lot of reason to assume that Frankie Edgar is on the come down besides that Ortega fight 
And in that Ortega fight, maybe he just got caught by, by this kid who game planned really well for Edgar style. I don't know that Max Holloway will necessarily have that elbow ready, but I do think that the fact that he's a much taller man, the fact that he can take these shots from Edgar, presumably much better than he did from uh, Dustin Poirier, although I wouldn't be surprised if his chin has been significantly affected by that Poirier fight. I wouldn't be surprised if Edgar buzzes him at some point. I'm going to pick Holloway here. I think it'll probably be a decision. There's a chance that he can maybe overwhelm Edgar late, but I don't know. Edgar hasn't shown any signs of, of being susceptible to that. Max Holloway should win a decision here, but I again, I would not be surprised if Frankie Edgar shocks us all and walks away with the biggest win of his career. That would be amazing. Nothing would make me happier. I mean, it'd be sad to see Max on the decline, but, I mean, Frankie's my favorite fighter ever. This is the only time I've ever picked against him. If I were ahead of you on points, I wouldn't be picking against him. We have uh, Cyborg in the cage for the first time since Amanda Nunes trounced her against Felicia Spencer, who's coming off of uh, choking the hell out of... Uh, who did she choke? She just beats Megan Anderson. That's right, Megan, Megan Anderson, very quickly. Uh, what do you think is happening here? you got to pick Cyborg in this one. This is her first loss in MMA in 14 years. And even though Spencer's undefeated in her, in her seven-fight career, you've got to give the edge to Cyborg. She has a more thorough process standing up. She does have good takedown defense against really, really, really scared opponents. I wonder what her takedown defense would be against a Felicia Spencer who's not going to be scared. A Felicia Spencer who's every bit of a 145-pounder that Cyborg is. Yeah, she looked bit in the face-off. I mean, she had on uh, Felicia had on heels, and, and Cyborg didn't, but Spencer looked big, looked bigger yeah. than Cyborg. Yeah, and, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way when I say it. She's got, like, she's a little bit on the husky side. Like, she's got some size oh. to her. Yes, I, yeah, no, she, her, legs, her legs look thick. She looks very powerful. Absolutely, and she is. Like, you can tell when she's in there, granted, against much more human fighters than Chris Cyborg. She looks really good, including her UFC debut, in which she didn't seem nervous at all against Megan Anderson. Just pushed her up against that fence, dragged her down, took her back, and choked her out. I her think she looked and fought like a supersized Misha Tate. Yeah, I could, I could kind of see that. Oh, yeah, you didn't. I do remember you mentioned that after the fight. Um, having said that, I think Felicia Spencer has a shot here. I think she's got a bigger shot than any of Cyborg's opponents prior to Amanda Nunes. I think um, the odds are way out of whack on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think we're used to seeing Cyborg with these kind of odds, which I, I think she has a chance at grounding Cyborg a couple of times and winning a couple of rounds. And I'm not sure that Cyborg can finish her. Uh, I think she's, this is probably going to end up being a decision. Chris Cyborg is probably going to outland her. Uh, I think there will be a decent amount of time spent against that fence. I would be impressed if Cyborg was able to finish her because I think Spencer's relaxed and actually confident, and, and that's a big difference between Cyborg, uh, all almost all of her prior opponents before Amanda Nunes. I've got Cyborg, but I can absolutely see how Spencer has shot me throughout about here, Nick. What do you think? I'm real close to picking Spencer. It's, I mean, Cyborg got after all that time, after a decade on top got just flattened in her last fight. And I guess I'm curious as to where her motivation is. And I got to believe Spencer is highly, highly motivated, looking to make her name. This is a no-lose situation for Felicia Spencer. And, and Cyborg's got everything to lose because one more, you know, defeat, a defeat here and her, her leverage uh, as a star as she looks towards contract negotiations goes way, way down. Right. So... She's got to be very, very careful. I think Felicia Spencer is a very live dog. 
Um, I I smell upset here. I can see it too. I could be totally wrong, and Cyborg may flatten her in a second. But I'm going to pick Felicia Spencer. I just have a feeling. Ballsy goddamn picnic. I didn't have the balls to do it. Um, I didn't agree with you when you said that Amanda Nunes uh, is primed for an upset against Holly Holm. But I, I agree with you. I think I think Spencer has a decent shot, especially in the three-round fight, especially after Cyborg coming off of that knockout loss and, as to your point, going into those contract negotiations. So Ed, Cyborg hasn't been scoring knockouts the way that Nunes does. She has. She doesn't have a bunch of walk. Nope. Like Nunes basically is is collecting a, a bunch of highlight reel, practically like walk away uh, KOs, and Cyborg. You know, Cyborg beat up Tonya, uh, Tanya Evinger for, like, four rounds. Like, right. and, and Tonya Evinger has been finished multiple times way, way quicker since then. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Cyborg, again, Cyborg is, mind you, presumably off the juice now under the UFC's uh, USADA program. Um, she used to be on the juice, and that was a factor. That's part of the reason she was knocking girls into next year. I cannot express to you, Nick, how much of a difference that can really make. And I think just watching Vitor Belfort's career – shows you how much of a difference being on steroids and off of them makes. Justino is still a solid fighter. I do think she's old. I, I think it's not dissimilar from John Jones, another guy that has a history with performance-enhancing drugs, and another guy that, as he gets into those kind of middle 30s, is looking much, much, much more human against, you know, even not ultra-high competition. So I'm sticking with my cyborg pick, but I, I would not at all be surprised if Spencer takes this one, Nick. Not at all. Uh, next up, we've got a matchup that is primed to be exciting. I mean, this is going to end in all likelihood in a knockout one way or the other. And if not, it's certainly going to win fight of the night. Joff, hands of steel, Neil going up against Nico, the hybrid price. Nico price is a killer be killed kind of fighter. He's actually kind of traded off between wins and losses and, and sometimes getting wins out of nowhere against guys that are piecing him up. He just needs that one opportunity for a finish, Nick, and he's able to get it. Whereas Joff Neal's looked like every bit the prospect he was kind of rumored to be leading into his UFC debut. Super athletic. Extremely fast. That southpaw left hand is so goddamn quick, Nick. But Nico Price gets most of his knockouts with his right hand. And that is usually kind of the big thing to use against the southpaw. Who do you have in this one, Nick? This is very tough. I, I'm going to go with Jeff Neal. I think, I think he'll avoid... I think he'll get to Price before Price gets to him. I think that's it. I don't think he's going to give Price a chance to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you here. I could see Nico Price coming out with a win here, but I do think at this point, Joff Neal, he's got proper experience in the UFC. He hasn't been fighting a bunch of UFC debutantes here. Uh, Brian Camozzi he's you know, a decent, experienced fighter. Frank Camacho is a solid, solid fighter. Bella Muhammad is also a solid technical fighter, and quite frankly, kind of got outclassed despite the fact that he was really trying. That speed advantage was way too much for him to handle. And I think it's probably going to be the case here. Again, Nico Price can always land a right hand and end somebody's night. We've seen it time and again, even when he's a big underdog. But I've, I'm in agreement with, with you here. I've got Joff Neal. I wouldn't be surprised if this was Nico Price's first decision, first fight that goes the full length. Because Joff Neal, I think he's going to be on the careful side unless he can really take a huge advantage over Nico Price early. Wouldn't be surprised if his team made it clear to him that he can't really take major chances against Price. So I could see Joff Neal winning a decision here, if not a late TKO. 
Next fight, we're looking at Armin Sarukian against the uh, TriStar fighter Olivier Aubin Mercier, who's coming off of uh, back-to-back losses to good competition. Sarukian is coming off of uh, one loss. What do you see happening between these guys? So Aubin Mercier, it seems like as the level of competition has come up to guys like Alexander Hernandez or against Gilbert Burns, he can't quite cut it. He can't quite push through those struggling moments. Uh, prior to that, he caught Evan Dunham with a knee that finished him in the first round. I think he retired Evan Dunham with that. And I think leading up to the moment when that knee landed, granted it was a sub one-minute fight, I think Evan Dunham was, was kind of piecing him up there too. Aubin Mercier is not at a great point, even though this is kind of a hometown fight for him. He's going up against the guy who, like you said, he, he's owned one in the UFC. But his UFC debut was against Islam Makachev, who I think is something like 6 or 7-1 and one in the UFC. Not exactly a, a warm welcome to the UFC, Nick, but it was a competitive fight. It was really competitive even in Islam's department, which is the wrestling game. He was able to take Islam down once or twice. He was able to defend well, look pretty decent in his strikes. I called that Islam was going to out-hustle him, and I called the fact that Armin Saryukhan was going to look pretty good in the fight. I expect him to be able to out-hustle Aubin Mercier the same way that Alexander Hernandez was able to do. And I expect Armand to be one and one at the end of this fight and be seen as a real, real prospect after a big win here. But I can see Olivier being the, the slightly bigger man. I could see him defending most of those takedowns and, and maybe winning some points on that fence. It's possible that he wins, but I've got Armand. Same here. I basically agree with everything you said. I've got Armand uh, Surikin as well. Next up, we have got an interesting bout between Christoph Jocko, who's coming off a rough patch in his career and, and picked up a victory in his last bout, going up against Marc-Andre Berriou. Uh, at least I believe that is how you pronounce his name. I may be way off. Berriou is actually coming into his second UFC bout, lost his UFC debut against Andrew Sanchez in a fight that uh, honestly was competitive. He looked really good in that second round once he got into his flow striking, but Sanchez was able to get some takedowns against him. Christoph Jotko in his last bout and his first win in a little while beat Alan Amadovsky, who has a similar style, mostly a striker, by out-wrestling him. So the question is, Nick, can he repeat this performance against uh, presumably a bigger, uh, harder hitter? His jaw is not the greatest, Jocko's, but I I like him to continue the, continue the little bit of momentum he has and probably win a decision. Yeah, I've got Christoph here too. But I really struggled with this pick, honestly. Like, I don't know that Jocko's wrestling offense is necessarily good enough to take down a kind of a big, heavy, dense, strong Marc-Andre Berriou. And But Berriou, that's how he loses, right? That's how he loses rounds. That's how he loses fights because people are able to take him down. Andrew Sanchez was able to do it. Jocko's not necessarily the wrestler that Sanchez is, but he does train with American Top Team. And if there's somebody that can formulate the right kind of game plan – it's going to be Mike Thomas Brown and those guys. So I, I'm in agreement with here on Jocko, but I wouldn't be surprised if Berryu, who hits really hard, gets into a bit of a flow in that second and third round and lands a big strike to knock Jocko out. Next up. Yeah, it's uh, Alexis Davis against uh, Vivian Arahu, who won her last fight, which I think was her UFC debut, with a nasty head kick. Is taking on the veteran Alexis Davis, former title contender, who's coming off two losses in a row. Uh, a competitive scrap with Jennifer Maya, and another, I think, another pretty competitive fight against Caitlin Chikagian. Davis just doesn't seem to do quite enough to win. So, what do you what do you think's going down? I... I'm sorry, flyweight. It's a flyweight bout. 
Yeah, it, it's a flyweight bout, and there's something very interesting about this. Uh, Viviana Arujo used to fight at 115 pounds, and then she took a, a short-notice, last-minute UFC debut fight against Talita Bernardo, where she scored that huge overhand right knockout in the third round. She, she took that fight at 135 pounds, 20 pounds north of her natural weight class, Nick. And then she's coming in here against Alexis Davis, who's a former 135-pounder at 125. I'm just curious why uh, Viviana Arujo is not fighting at 115. She did do a good job against Talita, despite the fact that she herself took that fight on short notice, even though Talita had a full training camp. Uh, I know she's going to be a lot faster than, than Alexis Davis, but it seems like the moments when Talita Bernardo had some success in Viviana's USC debut, it was when Talita was throwing offense when she was pressuring, and it seemed like she was able to land offense on her. Alexis Davis is going to pressure here. The thing is that there's a huge speed disparity here. Arujo is going to be way faster. She's going to hit way, way harder. I wouldn't be shocked if the pressure of Davis makes this an extremely close fight or gives her a, a slight edge in the decision. But I'm going to pick the younger, fresher fighter here in hopes that her prospect status follows through and, and she can become a top tenner, whether it be at 125 or 115 pounds. Nick, what do you think? This is a tough one. I really want to see Davis pick up a victory, but I tend to think your look at this is accurate. So I'm going to go with, with uh, Vivian also. You know, we've got a prospect versus prospect bout, and Hakeem Duwadu going up against uh, Yoshinori Hori. These two guys are actually both known for some pretty heavy offense. They're both known for knocking guys out and getting, getting guys out of there before the final bell. Hakeem Duwadu, however, has been fighting in the UFC for a little bit now. He is 2-1 and one in the UFC after having a very successful career in WSOF. In fact, I think his entire pro career was in that organization. And picked up wins over Austin Arnett and Kyle Botniak in his last couple of bouts. Going up against here, uh, Yoshinori Hori, who is making his UFC debut after spending his entire career in Pancras. And he's got a couple of knockouts that, he, that he's coming into this bout with. Although he was knocked out a couple of bouts ago by Issei Tamura, who I think is maybe a UFC veteran from back in the day. He hits really hard himself. Who do you have in this one, Nick? I've got uh, Hakeem Duwadu. Uh, I just don't, I don't trust Hori's resume coming over from Pancras um, against a guy who's had so much experience in WSFO and the UFC. Um, I think it's a different level of competition and that he's going to get out-muscled, hurt, and finished. I can see him getting finished because he was knocked out two bouts ago. I do think the odds are a little bit far apart in this one. A lot of it does depend on how relaxed and, and in his own zone Yoshinori Hori will be in his UFC debut going up against you know what appears to be a scary prospect. But I don't know that Duadu is that much of a killer. Like I know he's got a bunch of knockouts in WSOF, but in the UFC he lost that for a UFC debut by guillotine to Danny Henry, who's not exactly a world leader. And then he decisioned Kyle Bosniak and Austin Arnett, neither of whom are world beaters by any means. So I absolutely see Yoshihiro Hori having a real shot here. I'm not sure that I'm willing to pull the trigger on him because he's making his UFC debut, though. I'd like to see him perform under the bright lights of North America. I'm going to pick Hakeem Duwadu, but I can certainly see uh, Hori having a shot here. In fact, I, I think at the, these odds, this is going to be another value bet pick for me later in, in the next segment, Nick. Gavin Tucker against uh, Sung Woo Choi, uh, a couple, couple of featherweights. What do you think? I, I'm picking Gavin Tucker because I, I think not only is he slicker on the feet, but he's also going to 
he's going to have a speed advantage, he's slicker on the feet, and he's going to have the takedown advantage. Gavin Tucker actually looked like an, a world beater, a serious prospect coming into his UFC debut. He beat up San Cecilia over three rounds, looked slick as heck doing it, Nick, and barely took a single shot. And then he went in there against Rick Glenn, who's a, a tough, big pressure fighter, and his pressure got to him, Nick. The, the damage got to him. Gavin Tucker looked like he could have fought two more rounds at the end of that bout against San Cecilia. And then against Rick Glenn, he looked like he was exhausted in the second round after taking a couple of shots, after, after getting buzzed at the very end of that first round in which he was winning otherwise. Having said that, Seng Wu Choi has a lot of the same attributes physically that the only opponent that was able to beat him does. Rick Glenn, he's got the height, he's got the reach. He, he's going to have those in his favor, but... I'm not sure that I'm not sure that he's going to have the speed, and I don't think his takedown defense is going to be good enough. Now, I know that Choi had his UFC debut against Movstar Evloev, so maybe his wrestling defense is not as bad as it looked in that bout. Maybe Evloev is really just in a different league. He's like a very serious prospect and really respected for his grappling game. I'm going to give the edge to Gavin Tucker. I'm assuming that he's not going to take enough damage to to get tired and and uh, get overwhelmed like he did in his last bout against Rick Glenn, but. Gavin Tucker, after his first loss, did take something like a year, almost two years off, 22 months off. It's yeah. a little bit concerning. I wonder where he is mentally. What do you think, Nick? Uh, I'm going with Tucker here. Um, I am. A, I do. I did notice that the two years off since the Rick Glenn fight, but um, I just got a. I just got a feeling. Davison Figueredo, who the last time we saw him was against. Uh, he got finished, right? Uh, figure yeah no he didn't get finished he lost a decision to uh, who was it he lost a decision to Formiga now here's the thing he looked almost sure. unbeatable leading into that bout he beat yeah. up John Paga beat Joseph Morales beat Jared Brooks granted by split decision and a lot of people think maybe Figueroa didn't deserve the win there but Formiga formulated just the perfect game plan one that he's used against a few prospects was able to take him down was able to time those takedowns perfectly and control him from that position. Alexander Pantoja comes from the same camp as Formiga, the only guy to ever beat Figueredo. And on top of that, he trains with Formiga and, and, and kind of presumably will know the right game plan, given that they share coaches. Who do you favor in this one, Nick? <sighs> Tough call. I mean, it's close to a pick -em. It's minus 125, plus 105. Panteja is the, fa uh, the favorite. And I think that you're right. I think that the train. I think that training with Formiga is uh, is going to be the difference maker. And I really didn't. I felt like uh, Figueroa got exposed a little bit in that fight. So I'm going to go with uh, Alexander the Cannibal uh, Pentejo. I've, I've really struggled with this one, Nick. Watching tape on these guys, I had a hard time uh, initially when I when I looked at the two names. I figured that I would give Alexander Pantoja the edge because of you know, what you and I both alluded to, the fact that he trains with the only guy who's beaten Figueredo, and that was in Figueredo's very last bout. The thing is that Alexander Pantoja, the guys that he's been beating up aren't exactly Formiga level. Wilson Hayes is really at the tail end of his career with a record of 23-9 and nine going into that bout. He was able to catch him with a clean left hand and, and, and sit him down for a finish. Ulka Sasaki looked pretty good until he got submitted Brandon Moreno, you know, not exactly the most athletic guy, and, and he had his moments against Pantoja as well. I think Figueredo is, I think he's something special, even though he did look extremely human against Juicy and Formiga. And I, I think he might have maybe the wrestling advantage here, which I think can make all the difference. It, it's a really tough one. 
Given that we have only one fight of disparity, I'll I'll take Figueredo here, but I have a feeling that I'm going to regret this pick. I went into it really believing I was going to pick Pantoja, but I just didn't like that he somewhat struggled at moments with Sasaki before we finished him at two minutes in the first round, to be fair. Brandon Moreno, right. he didn't really struggle against, but I just feel like it was a little more competitive than it could have been. Um, I don't know. I'm really struggling with this one, but I did end up concluding on Figueredo. Next up, we've got uh, Jillian Robertson going up against Sarah Froda. Who do you favor in this one, man? I mean, Froda looks like a badass, and I've seen a couple of her fights, but I feel like Jillian Robertson's going to send the Canadian crowd home happy. I see her finishing this fight by submission. Yeah, I, I've got Robertson here as well. I think Froda's takedown defense really sucks, and all she really does is throw a hard one-two. That's really the only thing that I've ever seen her do that gave her success in any fight. Now, she hits very hard. She's a big she's girl. Tough. Yeah. But Jillian Robertson's got excellent takedowns, and Frodo's takedown defense sucks. So I agree with you here, Robertson, all the way. But I, I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Frodo caught her with a big left hand, I guess. I'm just going to give the edge to the, to the girl who's got a big advantage on the ground. Kyle Stewart against Eric Koch. Um, I think it's my turn to pick first. I, I'm going to take, take Kyle Stewart here. I really struggled with this one because watching Eric Koch's last couple of bouts, he really didn't look bad against Bobby Green early on. And then it seemed like as the fight wore on, Bobby Green's pressure was taking effect. And it seemed like Bobby Green was able to take over more and more. Same thing with Clay Guida. It seemed like in the first round, he looked okay. And then toward the end of the first round, Guida got a takedown. And then it just seemed like all downhill for Koch from there, even though he looks so skilled up until shit starts going against him. I don't, I'm not a big believer in Cole Stewart. I don't really know what to expect of him here. I think the only two good fighters that he's fought, he lost to. So I have no real confidence in Cole Stewart. I guess I'm just, uh, I don't know, I guess I'm just picking him because apparently he hits hard and, and Eric Koch seems to die down as the fight wears on. But again, I, I'm not sure what to really expect from the guy. What do you think, Nick? Well, it's been eight years since, since Eric Koch uh, knocked out Rafael Asuncao. And his little, you know, he's only fought three times in the last five years. I, I really don't know. This one's a, this one's a pick em. You picked Stewart? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to pick Koch just to have some di- have difference. All right. I'm, I'm, uh, interesting breakdown. Nick, it should be a somewhat interesting card. At least there's some meat on the bone, even though I do think this fight could have been so much better as a pay-per-view. Uh, let's take a break, Nick. We're going to come back and talk about uh, our bets from last week and our betting advice for the following one. And we are back, Nick, to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. We're going to talk about the betting advice for UFC 240, and we're going to go over how our bets did for the prior card. Nick, I didn't do so hot for this one. This is, was a tough event for a lot of the uh, pickers, for, for the odds makers. It was a tough event for the betters as well. I recommended uh, a straight bet on Edwards, 50, $60 to win 50 That one worked out for me. But then I also recommended a straight bet on Adams, 35 bucks on him. Uh, Rothwell, uh, I recommended $93 on Rothwell to win 50 That one went terribly for me. Uh, I recommended $37 on Pennington to win 50 and that one worked out for me as well. So I, don't get me wrong, I had a couple of wins, but that Rothwell one really killed me. Um, Matafari, I, I recommended a $28 bet on her, and she lost to Maya. Um, so that's another 28 bucks that we were down. As far as the parlays, I recommended Rothwell and Ray Borg. Uh, Borg came through for me. Rothwell didn't even come close. He looked terrible. 
and that's seventy dollars down uh, again. And then Pilarte and Sue's son were another parlay, two of the biggest favorites on the card. Uh, I recommended thirty dollars on them to win thirty, and that was another loss. Not the worst in the world, but but uh, I did end up being down. Um, I have written here one hundred and sixty-nine bucks, Nick. So. We're back at something like $580 up in the last several events. Uh, this is my first loss in, in many events. Uh, I'll take it. I will come back, and I expect to get some winnings at UFC 240. Uh, what are your thoughts on this card, Nick, when it comes to the betting lines? Um, just the value bets uh, on Edgar and Spencer. I, if, I were to, if, if you were to like put a gun to my head and I had to give you a weekly parlay idea, I'd probably link up uh, Pantoja and Jillian Robertson. So that part, that parlay would be twenty dollars and fifteen on each of those straight bets. I think that's it based on the based on the odds we're looking at here. I don't blame you. The majority of my bets for this one are actually value bets, and I may be compensating for the fact that I missed out on a bunch of great opportunities when it comes to this in the last card. But uh, yeah, I, I just feel like a lot of these odds where there are heavy favorites, they're a little bit too skewed. And I think a lot of these underdogs have a shot. And if a couple of them comes through, that should even out the rest of the bets. If a few of them come through, then that should make for a winning night. I recommend putting $10 on Frankie Edgar at plus 290. Uh, I recommend putting $10 on Felicia Spencer at plus 475. I think she's got a shot at, at winning a three-round bout against Cyborg, maybe getting a takedown at one, maybe pushing her up against the fence for another round and surviving the third round. Although I'm not sure that Cyborg will be aggressive enough for Spencer to have to survive. I do think, for the record, Cyborg can finish Spencer if she really goes for it. Uh, it all depends on her mindset going into this one. I also do recommend a bet on Nico Price by finish. Now, the reason I'm not recommending just Nico Price at plus 285 is because Nico Price doesn't really win decisions. He, he doesn't really go to decision. He gets knockouts. He usually finishes guys. And a pick on Price by finish at plus 425 is a lot better than plus 285. So I recommend kind of getting a little more specific with this one. I recommend $10 on that one as well. I'm also going to recommend 10 bucks on Olivia Albin Mercier, although I do think that he's going to lose this fight against the young Sarah Yukon. I, I believe Mercier has the style to potentially do well in this one. He can hang in there in the clinch, and he might be the, the bigger man here. Um, so I recommend 10 bucks on him by decision at plus 259. He usually goes to decision. That's why I recommended a prop bet because if you take if you take OAM straight, it's plus 170. Very, very different odds. I don't expect him to have the chops to finish. Sorry, you can hear. So plus 259 sounds a lot better to me. Alexis Davis at plus 175. I recommend putting $15 down on her. I think that her pressure style can give trouble to Arujo. Her only rough moments in her UFC debut was when her opponent was actually pushing forward with, with strikes. I think Davis can do that. I think Davis has a, has a shot at also getting top position for at least one round and, and scoring from there. Yoshinori Yohori, I, I think he's got a higher chance against Hakeem Duwadu than a lot of people do. A plus 335, I'd put 10 bucks on, on uh, Hori as well. And uh, I also actually did plan to recommend Bozer by decision at plus 210 uh, up against Lemos, who failed the drug test and the fight was canceled. So that's, uh, that's going to be scrapped off. A parlay of Armand Saryukan at minus 200, and Jillian Robertson at minus 115. I think both of these fighters have the stylistic advantage. I think they have a decent shot of winning their bouts, and I think at plus money with them combined, it's a pretty good parlay to put together here. I also recommend a straight bet on Tucker on Gavin Tucker at minus 115. I recommend putting $40 
down on him. Uh, I expect to come back here, Nick, with a vengeance, with a winning week. I expect to have profits up the wazoo, and I expect to gloat next week as I have for the last several. Well, I, you know what? I'm not even going to talk any smack. We'll just see what happens. Oh, shit. See, now this is messing with me because all the smack talk you've been doing lately, Nick, you've actually – it's not worked. I've picked up victories, and now you're actually being like cordial and, and, and kind and polite, and I'm the one that looks like a douchebag. Well, I, I got my ass handed to me last week, so that really that really was an event that could have gone either way. Uh, but to your point, th- those clutch picks, the the ones that you and I differed on, they, two of them did go my way. One of them went your way. Uh, so so I, I did pick up a victory there. I'm now three events up, Nick. Um, I I actually predicted several events ago that I would get three in a row and that would grow to four, five, and six, and and that you're only going to get increasingly frustrated. And so far, Nick, it, that that prediction is going well. Uh, like my new strategy is to follow Conor McGregor's blueprint for just like calling crazy shit out there and, and, and you know the secret style, just kind of putting things out there and, and having the universe bring them to fruition. Like so far, it was working out, my friend. So that's so that's why you had the balls to pick Felicia Spencer. See the <laughs> see the, the the guts that it takes to police uh, to pick Felicia Spencer, you have for sure. But you also had the guts to pick Holly Holm. Yeah, that was not so smart. No, I, and again, I, I disagreed with that one vehemently. I think Spencer has a shot here, uh, to, to your point. Um, another one in the books, Nick. Looking forward to next week when one of us gets to gloat. You will have either brought it uh, to only within two, or I will have a four-event lead. I cannot wait. Well, either way, we're going to get to talk smack about Kobe Covington. It's going be fun. Yes, it will, man. He's going up against Robbie all or nothing. He has to in one way or another. Looking forward to that, Nikolai. Another good one in the books. We shall walk into the